Welcome to Big Valley, all of you, especially if you're visiting with us for the very first time. Glad you're here. Welcome to all of you that are uh, watching online. We're glad that you're with us. If you are visiting, uh, these are all folks that call this their home. They, they, they belong here at Big Valley Grace, and they have a deep love for, for Jesus. And because they love Jesus so much, it pours over into a love uh, for Jesus' church, which is you, and they have been, and we, we do this every weekend, believe it or not. If you're visiting with us every weekend, it, it, it's just like this. But obviously, you get to a weekend like this, we add a bunch of gatherings and all that kind of stuff, and it is always a joy to come to church and belong to a place like this where people love Christ, and we have all this God-honoring music. Well, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19, okay? John chapter 19. I want everybody to take their Bibles and turn there. And as I often say, uh, I may not say anything more powerful than that little phrase right there, take your Bibles and turn to. Unfortunately, you don't hear that phrase much anymore in our culture. Unfortunately, you don't hear that phrase very often in churches anymore. And uh, we want you to look at the Word of God for yourself. It's okay to turn on your smartphones if you have your Bible app there. And you can turn to John, you know, and then 19 times so you get to John chapter 19. If you uh, don't own a Bible, as soon as this gathering's over with, you can go into the altar room. Or you can come down to the church on Monday if you're watching online. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people watch online. Uh, and we'll give you one. We'd love to put the Word of God into your hands so that you can read it uh, for yourself. So, so let me set up the, the scene here if I could, okay? Jesus was crucified on Friday. He died on Friday. In fact, we had two special gatherings down here at Big Valley Grace yesterday, one at noon and one at seven. And the purpose of those two gatherings was simply to remember the day that Jesus died. He died on Friday. And it says this in John chapter 19. Afterward, okay, that's after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. Today, there are some places on the planet where people are still secret followers of Jesus. Here we are in the year 2017, and there are some places on the globe where if someone knows you're a believer, if somebody knows you're a follower of Christ, Literally, you can be killed. Back when this was happening, that was certainly true. And so Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate. Pilate was the man who had Jesus crucified. He asked for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. 
With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. And you can read that story if you're interested in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to have a conversation with him. And once again, he does it at night because he feared for his life. You just didn't walk around basically and say that you were a follower of Jesus back in biblical days. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb that had never been used before. Probably Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He was a wealthy man. And like today, you can buy a, a, a plot out at Lakewood or wherever and kind of have, you know, things set up so that when you die, all your children have to do or whatever is just bury you. Joseph of Arimathea, being a wealthy man, probably had this grave, this tomb, all set up. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I've been to Israel uh, a lot of times, and uh, i got a picture I want to show you up here. I think we have it. We got that, that photo? We don't have it? Yeah, there it is. And uh, my wife and I have actually been there. We, they think, we're not really sure, but they think that that's the very place where, where Jesus was buried. It's, it could be. Certainly an empty tomb, and it's a tomb of a wealthy man, and it's in the right location. It's in the right place. It's right where Jesus would have been buried, and I've actually been inside there uh, many times. Some of you have also. So here we've got these two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they took the body of Jesus off the cross and they put him in a tomb, or really it was a cave, and they rolled this big, huge stone in front of it, thinking that this was going to be, you know, Jesus's final resting place. Beloved, Jesus was dead. The Romans were experts in killing people. They were experts in capital punishment. They knew when someone was dead. And they would have never allowed Jesus to come off of the cross if he wasn't dead. Back in this time, there were lots of people, hundreds and thousands of people who were killed on crosses. That's just how the Romans killed people. That was their... Capital punishment, like we might have the, the electric chamber or the gas chamber or, you know, whatever. That's just how the Romans killed people. They knew when somebody was dead. And so when Joseph of Arimathea says, can I have the body, the Romans would have never let him off that cross if he wasn't dead. He was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. Everybody in Jerusalem knew he was dead. 
The Jewish leaders knew he was dead. The Romans knew he was dead. The disciples all knew that he was dead. But something happened three days later that literally changed the, the course of history. Literally. It literally changed the course of my personal life. It changed the course of most of your lives in this room, right? Probably most of you watching online. And I believe by the time I'm done here today, maybe it will change the course of some of your lives that are here. Literally for an eternity. So let's read Dr. Luke's account of this great moment of history. Probably the greatest moment in history. Luke chapter 24 says this. So we just read, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body, put him into a grave. There's a stone rolled in front of it. That was on Friday. It's now Sunday. But very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And this would have been a woman's job 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Because of the day that Jesus died, he would have been put into the tomb. And now the woman, his friends, they would have been the ones that would have taken some spices and things. And they're going to now go back to the tomb and do what the women would have done in that culture. Men would have never have done this. It would have been what a woman would have done. And so the women are doing it. Okay? They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. When the women got there, everything is now changed. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he'd rise again on the third day? And then these women went, yeah. I do remember him talking about that. I, I remember that. I thought it was kind of weird. I thought it was nonsense. I remember that moment. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everybody else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. We got there. The stones rolled away, and there's no Jesus. But the story sounded like, 
like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. And he ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So these women show up, some home, there are the loving guys and some others, and they said, hey, look, you're not going to believe what's going on. We went there. Yeah, we know we, you guys went there. You told us you were going there. We saw all the spices. We know what you guys are doing. He's not there. The stone's been rolled away, and he's gone. And then you have Peter. He didn't go in. I think he intuitively knew there was something weighty going down. And he's just kind of looking in. And he walks away, pondering all this. He's wondering, what's going on? What's happened? What's with this empty tomb? Did did the Romans take him? Somebody playing a prank on us? Maybe, maybe Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you know, took him home, you know, and he's sitting in, his, in their living room. He's trying to figure this out. Beloved, every time I read this story, it just blows me away. And I'll tell you, I've read this thing at least a thousand times. And usually it's about this time of year when I know I'm going to do something on Easter that I read it again, and it's just, it's just weighty, just unbelievable. This happened over 2,000 years ago, and yet over the next 24 hours, literally a billion people or more, literally all over the world, will gather just like we are to celebrate this amazing moment, the resurrection of Jesus. Literally over a billion people. There'll be so many people here tomorrow. I think we get the higher patrol here and we're getting cars in and out. It's just crazy. Crazy. Happened 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, this all happened. Did you know that the very first sermon ever preached in the church? Not this church, but the very first church 2,000 years ago was a sermon on the resurrection. It really was an Easter uh, message. Listen to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. This is the very first sermon that was ever preached in the church. The church has now been born, okay? There was no church in the Old Testament. The church is born at the resurrection of Jesus, basically, Listen to the very first sermon. This is Peter talking. He says, listen to these words, fellow Israelites. Jesus of Nazareth was a man whose divine authority was clearly proven to you by all the miracles and wonders in which God performed through him. He's talking to people who would have actually heard Jesus preach. There were people who heard him preach, and they knew He didn't preach like anybody else, man. 
They saw him do miracles. They saw it happen. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him raise Lazarus from the grave. Peter is simply reminding the people of things that they actually heard firsthand. And what they actually saw firsthand. You yourselves know this, for it happened right here among you. In accordance with his own plan, God had already decided that Jesus would be handed over to you and you kill him by, let, by letting sinful men crucify him. But God raised him from death, setting him free from its power, from the power of death, right? It, it's a power that all of us have to deal with because we're all going to die. You can't stop it. I don't care how many vitamins you take. You can eat all the clean stuff you want, and you're going to die. That's power. You can't stop it. Someday, you young folks, you're going to look like your parents. <laughs> don't do that, man. Don't ruin my Easter, man. Pretty soon, hair is going to grow out of your ears. Out of your nose. Limping for no reason. I've become the very person I used to mock, young people. <laughs> You'll be there. <laughs> Tell me about a power that's greater than that. You will die. But God raised Jesus from death, setting him free from its power because it was impossible that death should hold him prisoner. It was impossible. Why? Because he was the second person of the Holy Trinity. He was God's beloved son. Anyway, that was the first sermon that was ever preached in the church. It was an Easter message. In fact, the theme of the resurrection is found throughout the Bible. You, you can't miss it. In the book of Romans, Christ was raised from the dead, and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him. In 1 Corinthians, for Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians, it says, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, and we know that God will also raise us, believers, followers of his, with him. In Ephesians, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You see, it takes a lot of power to raise somebody from the dead, doesn't it? You, you could take all of the nuclear power plants on the planet and somehow, you know, get all of the energy focused into one laser beam and shoot it onto a dead corpse, and that dead corpse ain't coming back to life. So it does take 
some power, if you will, to raise somebody from the dead. In Philippians, Paul says, I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Peter weighs in with these words, though through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in him. Why? Because he raised Christ from the dead. You see, death is the one you know, thing that just kind of hangs over all of our heads. It's a power that none of us, you know, have any control over, basically. And God says, oh, that all changes, though, if you know my son. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. In the book of Revelation, Jesus himself says, I am the living one. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And he gives this illustration like he's holding keys. I got them. Because I got the keys that puts me in charge. The person with the keys is the person who's got the power, and that was certainly true, especially true when this was written. Beloved, you can't miss the importance of the resurrection when you read through the New Testament, which is why we make such a big deal about it here at Big Valley Grace. Huge deal about it. Now, most of us here believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. I mean, we believe that Jesus was crucified and buried on Friday, and then three days later he walked out of the, uh, out of the tomb. Most of us, you know, we get it, we understand it, that's why we're here celebrating it. But I also know that there are some of you here that struggle with this idea. I know that there are some of you out there that are, you know, you're thinking to yourself, dude, you're out of your mind. How can anybody really believe that? I mean, it's impossible for somebody to conquer death. And the reason I know that some of you are thinking this is because I used to think the same thing. I can remember often going to churches right here in our town before I gave my life to Christ and they would sit in there and you know, he is risen. You know, the preacher, like Pastor Scott did, he is risen. And everybody go, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And I used to think, man, wow, I don't know what's in the Kool-Aid here, but man, <laughs> this is weird. This is some weird stuff. They actually believe this. But I was polite and kind, just like many of you are being. You were invited here by a friend or a loved one, and you're here. And you're just thinking, man, this is just, just weird. In fact, I watched a TV program the other day that basically made fun of anybody that believed that Jesus rose from the grave. I was reading some magazine articles that have been written. Some of them were in Time Magazine and others where they basically just mock Christianity and this whole idea that Jesus you know, was raised from the, the dead. Remember what Peter and the rest of the disciples said when they first heard the, the story of the resurrection? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. <laughs> Beloved, when Jesus' own disciples first heard the story, they thought it was nonsense. So if you're here and you think it's nonsense, you're in good company. 
Jesus' own disciples. Peter, the one who wrote Scripture. John, who wrote Scripture. And believe it. These ladies are nuts. Jesus' own half-brother, James, didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. Here's what I'd like for you to do. If you do struggle with this, the idea of the resurrection, I, I want you to relax, maybe sit back and just listen. And when I'm done, you know, you can leave here and go, dude, that guy's nuts. And every time you drive by, you know, Tully Road here at the church, Pelinil, you can drive by and go, right in that building on Saturday nights and Sundays, there are some weirdos. Because <laughs> I used to do that down at First Baptist whenever I'd drive downtown and go, there's weirdos in that place. I used to drive by a lot of churches and go, man, those are some weird people. So you can drive by here, and you can think that of us. But at least you'll know what we believe. And who knows? Maybe someday you'll end up on a platform like I am right now. (laughs) Some of you are going, there's no way. I know. I know exactly what's running through your brain. When I tell you that this moment that happened 2,000 years ago literally changed my life, (laughs) you have no idea. No idea. So here's what I'm going to do real quickly. I'm going to give you three statements throughout this message that that, that I think will help you better understand what this weekend's all about, which is my my goal. I, I want you to understand the implications of what the empty tomb means. Because if you get it, if you understand it, the significance of the empty tomb, it'll change your life forever. So here's the first statement. And I think it's the most important statement I'm going to make. I, I, by the way, I make this statement all the time here if you come. And, but it's this. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Psalms 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Beloved, if you don't get anything else out of this message other than this, it's a, win. it's a win. This is a church that just does its best to make much of Jesus. All the songs were all about Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus. Right now in our children's ministry, there'll be, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred children here this weekend. We're telling them about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the reason why is because he's good. As the pastor of this great church, I want people who come here to taste and see the Lord. I want those of you that are here right now to taste and see the Lord. Because if you taste and see the Lord, I guarantee you that you'll see he's good. Because he is good. Jesus is good. The entire Bible from the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all 39 books of the Old Testament, all the way up to the last book of Malachi. You get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way to the last book of the New Testament, those 27 marvelous books of Revelation, really has one message, and that is this, Jesus is good. Now, in the Old Testament, they don't use his name, Jesus. 
We don't know that his name is Jesus until later. But the message of this book here is that Jesus is good. He's good. But unfortunately, here's what happens, okay? Too many times when people go to church, all they taste and see is the denomination of the church. Or all they taste and see is a religion. Or all they taste and see is a bunch of rules and regulations, you know, legalism, a list of do's and don'ts, especially the don'ts, which is why so many people don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because they never taste him or see him. They, they taste all the other stuff, but not him. So it's been my prayer that somehow today all you taste is Jesus. All you see is Jesus, because if that happens, you'll know. You'll know how good he is. If when we're done here, all you hear is my voice, man, what a bummer. What a waste of an hour and a half of your life. If all you hear is these people's voices, wow. Somehow, it's our goal that through the music, through all that we do, that you're connected to Jesus. That you taste him. That you see him. Because he is good. Look, nothing shows you how good Jesus is like the resurrection. Nothing. If you can taste this, if you can see this, get this, understand the importance of Jesus walking out of the tomb, you'll know he's good. You'll you'll understand why Christians gather each weekend to celebrate Jesus. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, he took all your sins upon himself. Then he was buried, and when they put Jesus in that tomb, they took You know, he took all of your sin with him into that tomb. And when he walked out of that tomb, three days later, he left all of your sin in there, making it possible, possible to have a relationship with him again. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a a moment. Beloved, when you get this, when you understand this, when you taste this, when you see this, you'll understand how good Jesus is. So the first statement I want to make, the first statement I want you to understand is is this, is that Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Hey, look, I'm one of his preachers, and I don't always live it out perfectly, okay? I, I don't. I don't always love the way Jesus wants me to love. I don't always show mercy the way Jesus wants me to show mercy. I don't always show compassion the way Jesus wants me to show compassion. I don't always treat others the way I'd want to be treated. I fumble the ball around more than um, more than I'd like. 
But just because I fumble the ball around or just because other Christians that you know, that you work with, maybe your parents, maybe your children, maybe your grandparents, I don't know who they are, but they blow it and they fumble the ball around and they don't always live the way Christ wants them to live doesn't mean that Jesus isn't good. It just means that we as human beings are bad. That's all it means. And that includes you. Folks, Jesus is good. He's good. And the only good thing about me is that I have him living in me. That's it. That's it. Now, the second statement I want to make is this. Jesus walked out of the tomb to to give you a new life. Pastor Bobby mentioned this. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He gave us a little insight into why he came. It's not the only reason why he came, but I think it encompasses probably why the best reason why he came. It's one pretty good sentence. Jesus said, I have come. I've come. We celebrate that in December, right? December 25th, you know, Christmas. Jesus is born. I have come. The reason why I came, the reason why I left the glories of heaven to come to planet Earth was that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And I want you to notice, leave, leave that up, leave that up, okay? Okay? I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a religion. He didn't say that. Is Christianity a religion? Yes, but that's, that's not what he said. He, he, I've come to, you might have a religion. Just what we need is another religion. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a set of rules and regulations to live by. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I've come to give you more things to do in your life. Boy, don't we all have more things, you know, don't we have a bunch of, you know, you know, space in our schedules for more stuff? He didn't say any of that. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, an abundant life. A life full of meaning and purpose. A a life that will go on forever and ever and ever throughout all of eternity. Life with with me in heaven forever. A a, a life full of hope. A a life full of significance. And I know, I know right now some of you are going, I want that. I know you, I know it. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to embrace Christ in this unbelievable life that he came to bring. Look, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, I have come in order that you might have life. And not just any kind of life. Life and all of its fullness. 
Beloved, one of the many reasons Jesus is good is because he came to give you the gift, the free gift of a new and unbelievable life, a life that would go on forever, a life that would be spent in a place called heaven with Jesus forever. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This, this free gift, this unbelievable life is attached to Jesus. It's attached to him walking out of the tomb. Now this life that Jesus came to give you isn't something you simply tack on to your old life. That's one more thing, you know. It's like the Cub Scouts. I got another badge to put on. I just got another thing I got to do. No, 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 no. The life that Jesus came is a brand new life. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anybody has given their life over to Christ, he is a new creation the old is gone, the, the new has come, and all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. It doesn't, you don't get this new life because you work really hard and because you're a really good person or because you put money in the offering a minute ago or because you sing in the choir or play in the orchestra or because you preach his word. That's not how you, you get it. Those might be good things to do. But we were reconciled to God through Jesus. When he walked out of that tomb, the linkage is Jesus. And him conquering death. Now some of you are thinking, Pastor Rick, why do I need a brand new life? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, I've got a pretty good life, right? I got a nice family. I got a good job. I got money in the bank. I own a nice home. In fact, I got a, I got a cabin up in the woods, you know. I got some nice cars. My 401K is loaded. My 403B has got all kinds of money in it. I own my own company. What, why do I need this new life? And I want you to know that's a good question. In fact, it's a great question. In fact, if you don't understand the answer to that question, you'll, you'll never understand why Jesus is good. You'll never understand what's the point of a cross with Jesus hanging on it. What's the point of, you know, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking him off the cross and putting him into a tomb? What's the point of an empty tomb? If you don't get this, then the whole thing doesn't make any sense. So why do you or anybody else need this new life that Jesus offers? Well, the only way I can answer that question is I have to take you all the way back to the very beginning of time. I've got to take you all the way back to Adam and Eve. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, in the very first book of the Bible. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. And let them rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the tame animals, over all the earth. And over all the small crawling animals on there, so God created human beings in his image. 
I'm now venturing into territory that in our country is lost. I'm about to tell you something that just isn't heard anymore in the United States of America. You aren't a chance meeting of two molecules that met up a billion years ago. You're not just educated goo. You're not a happenstance of nature. You're not a little higher up the evolutionary chain than an orangutan. The Bible says that God created you in his image. He created everything. These are beautiful lilies. He created these, but they weren't made in his image. He created your dog and your cat and your fish, but they're not created in his image. He created zebras and porcupines and trout and eagles and, I don't know, crows and worms and, and uh, snails. He created all those things, but none of them are created in his image. Human beings are. It's, it's what makes human beings different than any other life, any other life form. It's what gives human life dignity. It's what we call the sanctity of human life. Sanctity meaning human life is separate than a trout. Human life is sacred. It's separate from a finch. Human life is different than a cockroach. You step on a cockroach at home and I won't lose any sleep over it. Catch a trout in a river, no big deal. Take a human life. That's a different story, isn't it? You see, intuitively, instinctively we understand that human life is different. It's different. The Bible says that God created human life in his image. And at this moment in history, in Genesis chapter 1, everything was great. At this moment in history, Adam and Eve didn't need a new life because the life that God had created for them was basically perfect. At this moment in time, the life that Adam and Eve had was an unbelievable life. It was a great life, a special life, a life of close fellowship or friendship with God. God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed to have a great life. Beloved, this was the life that God wanted all of us to experience. But God had to set things up in such a way that we as human beings would love him or worship him or, and obey him because we wanted to love him. We wanted to worship him. We wanted to obey him. In other words, God didn't want to have a bunch of mindless robots running around saying, I love you, God. I love you, God. I'll obey you, God. God didn't want that. Those of you that are married, don't you want your spouse to love you because they want to love you? Nobody, you know, wants a, someone, you know, you put a 45 to someone's head. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. That's not love. God wanted his creation, his special creation to love him because they chose. 
chose to love him. Not because he forced them to love I love you, God. I love you. No. So what he did was he gave human beings something very unique. It's called a free will. And he said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you a free will, and here's how we're going to play this thing out. It's all yours. I'm going to take care of you. You've got this unbelievable life. I will manage everything for you. All you got to do is honor me, love me, worship me. So you see that tree over there? Just stay away from that one. And we don't know what the tree was. We don't know what it was. But now all of a sudden, God had set this thing up, if you will, in such a way he was going to find out whether human beings really did love him. And the Bible tells us that Adam made a decision. He used his free will in a crummy way, and he went and he ate from the tree. And at that moment, everything changed. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 3. At that moment, at the moment Adam makes the decision to say, God, I don't care about what you have to say. I'm going to live life the way I want to live it. The Bible says that this thing called sin entered into the world. Romans 5 says when Adam sinned, when Adam used his free will to disobey God, sin entered the world. The very moment Adam made the choice to disobey God, sin against God, everything changed. It messed up everything. Sin ruined the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, and it ruined the life that God wanted them to have. And it also ruined the relationship between you and God and the relationship God wanted to have with you. In fact, for some of you, it ruined the relationship to the degree that you don't even believe in Him. You really believe that you're just a coincidence of nature. That's what you believe. You really believe that between you and a, I don't know, a cockroach, there really isn't much difference. That you're just a little higher up the evolutionary chain than something else. You really believe that. And you don't understand how special you are and how unique you are because you're made in the very image of God. You don't even believe in him. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own. In other words, what the great prophet is saying there is, all of us have been just like Adam and Eve. God, you know what? I'm not going to follow what you have to say. I'm not going to. I'm going to do life my own way. So we've all just kind of done our own gig, our own life. Proverbs says, who can say, I've kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? And the answer is nobody. Nobody can. Ever since Adam and Eve, it's been sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners and sinners and nothing but sinners. We've all drank from the same poisoned well. We've all inherited the same fallen genetics. The only non-sinner that has ever lived was Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in him there was no sin because he was the second person of the Holy Trinity. We've all blown it. We've all disobeyed God. We've all done things that we knew were wrong, right? We've all said things that we know are wrong. We've all, you know, used our, our God-given free will not to obey him. And the choice, and that choice comes with a huge consequence. And in fact, some of you have used your God-given free will, as I said, to 
not even believe in Him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the wages of our sin is death. Sin brought death, physical death. Everybody dies because of sin. But worse than physical death, sin brought with it spiritual death. Sin, you know, severed the, the relationship between you and God. And here's another bummer about sin. You have no power to do anything about your sin. You have no power to fix the problem of sin, which brings me back to my first two statements. Jesus is good. And Jesus walked out of the grave to give you the free gift of a new life. And that's what Easter's about. That's what it's about. This is why over a billion people are at churches this weekend. Jesus is good. And one of the greatest reasons Jesus is good is because he came to give you a new life, which we all needed because sin ruined the original life that God had given us. Sin brought death into the equation of life, physical death, and way more importantly, spiritual death. But because you're deeply loved by God, he had a plan. Let me take you back 33 years before the resurrection. So Jesus walks out of the grave he was about 33 years old, a little older than 33. I'm going to take you back 33 years. The Bible says, today in the town of David, a Savior is born for you. He is Christ the Lord. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, She, that's Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see? You see how the scriptures all kind of fit together? Paul said, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. He was born in that little town called Bethlehem to save sinners, which is everybody. This is what Easter's all about. It's all about the Savior who came to forgive us of our sins and offer us a new life. You see, the beauty of Easter isn't the weather or bunny rabbits or colored eggs or new dresses or pastel ties or whatever. The beauty of Easter is that when Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, it provided the cure to the problem of sin. You see, that's the problem we all have. Peter said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope. In other words, God's given us a brand new life, a life full of hope, an eternal life, a life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And how did that happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus conquered death, is the key that enables you and I to live the life that Jesus came to give us. It's, it's the key that unlocks the door to this new life. You can't separate the, 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 the two out. And this brings me to the final statement, and that is this. Surrendering your life over to Jesus is the only way to receive the free gift of a new life. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That, that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. That's what Jesus said. 
Beloved, you were born once, you were born physically, but remember, sin has invaded your life. Sin has ruined your relationship with God, so you need to be born again. Obviously not physically born again, but spiritually born again. And you're born again when you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. John said this, he said, he, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jews, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They're not reborn with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. There's a rebirth that happens when you invite Christ into your life. And at that moment, you have this new life that he came to offer everybody. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says, and this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son, the one that walked out of the tomb. He who has the son, if you have the son, then you have the life. That's what it says. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. This book wasn't written to trick anybody. You don't have to be a pastor or a scholar or a PhD or be a professor at some college to understand the scriptures. God wrote it for you. He wanted you to know the story of humanity. It's simple. If you know Christ, you have the life. He conquered death, and so you got the life, right? If you don't know him, then you don't have the life. It's a simple thing. That's why Jesus is good. But the sad thing is, is most people will reject Christ. Most people. Here's the deal. I believe that God has opened some of your eyes. I believe that there are one of two of you here that for the very first time you understand how good Jesus is. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, the gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. This is Jesus talking. And many people enter through that gate. But the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life, this new life. Only few people find that road. That, that, that's what Jesus said. That's what he said. I used to be on that wide road. In fact, everybody in this room at one time or another was on that wide road. That led to hell. But we found Christ. We understood the significance of Jesus walking out of the tomb. And we surrendered our life over to him. When we got on that narrow road, we now have that new life, that abundant life. 
And as I said, I think God maybe has opened up the eyes of some of you. And so this is what I want you to do. Just right where you are. I just want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Just close your eyes. And I don't want you, I, I don't want you praying. I just want to get you alone. Forget about who's sitting next to you. Forget about your spouse, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, your son. This is just you. Just you. And I know that most of you in this room, you've given your life to Christ. You have the life, the eternal life. You got it. But there are some of you in this room that don't have it. You've never given your life to Christ. But I believe God's opened your eyes, and right now I just want to give you the chance just to pray a prayer right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you just, you just say it in your heart. You just mean it in your heart. Okay, you don't find this prayer in the Bible. I'm, I'm just going to make it up. But, but God sees your heart. If you're here and you want Christ, you want this new life, just say, Jesus, I get it. Just say that in your heart. I get it. For the very first time, I understand the story. My sin had separated me from you. In fact, I walked in here today not believing in you, but I get it. Thank you for opening my eyes to the truth of who you are. And right now, I surrender my life over to you. Come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to begin a brand new relationship with you right now, Jesus. I want this life that you offer. Now, while your eyes are closed and all that, would you do me a favor? Just, just so I'd know. If you prayed that and you, you really meant it, would you just raise your hand that I could rejoice with, you know, with you? Just raise your hand wherever you're at. Yeah, I, I see it right back here. Yeah, a bunch of you right back here. Yeah, up front. I got you, man. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I see a little guy with a tie on. That's cool. Anybody, how about on this middle section? Yeah, right here. Great, cool. How about over here on this section? You can look up, make sure I see you. Make sure, make sure. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so everybody look up here. Everybody look up here real quick. There are a bunch of hands. Here's the deal. I want everybody to pull out that card that Pastor Bobby had, had you fill out earlier, okay? Pull, pull, pull that card out. And in just a moment, we're going to walk out these doors, and there's a whole bunch of boxes all around here. They say connect boxes all around, and you can just drop these in there. They're all locked, okay? No, no, no you know, just, just put them in there. They're all at every exit. And um, those of you that are here for the very first time, again, I'm just grateful you're here. And I'll send you, you know, an email or something just saying thanks, you know, for coming. Uh, I promise I won't show up at your door. <laughs> That's everybody's nightmare. That's... But I do want to say thanks for coming. I think that's a polite thing to do. So I'll send you a, a, an email or something. And so just kind of get this thing filled out. And uh, here's the deal. If you prayed that prayer, and there are a bunch of you almost in every section. If you, if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? This is all I want you to do. Is just put a little star up in the corner. Just... And before today's over with, before I go home, they'll get all these and they'll look at those stars and they'll hand them to me. 
And I'll take these home tonight and I'll rejoice in the decision that you've made. And I'll pray for you. Okay. And I'll also then, as long as you've written it out real cleanly, I'll, I'm going to invite you to a fun little thing I do. It's called uh, the follow class. It's, it's inside your program. And the next one starts on May 3rd. It's on a Wednesday night. It's in a little room over here. We have childcare. We got food, coffee, all kinds of stuff. And it's just me, and you sit around tables, and we go through a number of lessons. You get to ask some questions. You get to meet some of the other pastors of the church. But I kind of lead that, and I'd love to have you come to it. It'd be a great place for you to begin this new relationship, to learn some of the very basic things about Jesus. And I'd love to have you be a part of it. You can, you, you, you can uh, go online. It, it, it gets filled up pretty quickly. But I want to personally invite you to it. And so you'll get an email from me inviting you to it. And if you don't have an email address, I'll send something to you, snail mail. I just want to get it in your hands. Okay? So if you just do me that favor, I'm not going to show up at your door, but I am going to invite you to something. And if the decision you made was genuine, then it's a no-brainer. Hey, I may not be able to make it, but, man, this was a serious moment, and I want the pastor of the church to know. It could be that you've given your life to the Lord last week or, I don't know, last month or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd love to come to the fall of class. And all you have to do is put a square on the card, and that lets me know that, you know what, I'll, you would like to come, and I'll invite you. I'll send you some stuff. It could be you're here and you're going, you know, I'm not sure about this Jesus guy yet, but could I come to the fall of class? Absolutely. We always have people there that are still kind of figuring this thing out. Put, put a square on the card and I'll invite you. I want you to come. And so you're either going to put a star up there and that lets me know you prayed here today or you're going to put a square up there, okay? And then I'll get these cards and on Monday, I'll literally I'll do this all on Monday. I'll send you an email just saying thanks for coming and I'm acknowledging your, your decision and I'll, and I'll send you some invite stuff. Is that cool? And, and so you just have to put these in the boxes around the perimeter of, of the church. And uh, as Bobby shared, next week I'm going to start a, a, a special little series called uh, Greater, Overcoming the Lesser Life. And here's the deal. Even as Christians... You know, our flesh can get the better of us, and instead of experiencing this unbelievable life that God has for us, we, we get sucked into the, a lesser life. And, and God doesn't want that for us. He's got something really great planned for all of us, and I want to talk about that over the next few weeks. Determining what the higher yeses are in life. You see what I'm saying? You can say yes to a lot of things. But let's look at what God's word says as to what are the higher yeses? What's the greater life? So I want to invite you back uh, for that next weekend. Okay, everybody stand up. Let me, let me pray. Father, thanks, Lord, for uh, today, man. The music was great. That opening video was off the hook, Lord. That was really great. I'm thankful for the good people of this church that are here serving and just grateful for all of those that raised their hand and indicated that, God, you were doing something in their life. I look forward to contacting them, and I just hope that they would at least let me know that you're doing something in their life, God. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness and what this weekend represents, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said.
Amen. Hey, live for Jesus Christ, okay?